Good morning. My name is Jeremiah, and I'd like to start today by asking you to open your Bibles. Would you open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 2? We're going to be reading verses 23 and 24, 2 Kings 2. Uh, the NIV will be on the screens if you'd like to follow along there. But 2 Kings 2, 23 and 24, this is what the passage says. Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> if nothing else, you'd like to see what's going to happen in the next 30 minutes. Because this is a difficult passage. This is a strange passage. And you might be wondering, uh, what's happening here? You know, how do you explain this passage? How do we understand uh, our God if, you know, these little boys would mock a bald man and God responds by sending a couple of bears to attack them? If your son or your daughter or a skeptical friend were, were to point at this passage and say, would you help me understand God's actions here? What would you say? I've known this passage uh, or about this passage for a while, but I never had a chance to really understand what, what's going on here. Why is this in our Bibles? And, and what is it trying to tell us about God? I never had a chance to really study that myself. And so uh, if you want to know why a bizarre passage is in the Bible, do you know what you do? You teach it, right? It's a way to figure it out. So I hope that this morning, we really are, we're going to study this passage today, and I hope that uh, through our time together that uh, not only will you, um, you know, be able to understand a little bit more of what is happening here in this story, but much more importantly, I hope that we'll be able to see uh, what this, this story, what this narrative is trying to teach us about our God, and there's something about us that, that this story is trying to teach us as well. And that's what we're going to be doing together today. And anytime you come to a challenging passage like this, and really any passage, but especially these more difficult ones, we have to remember uh, this truth about Scripture and everything that we read in it. And that is this, that Scripture exists to reveal God. Okay, the Bible is God's autobiography. It's his self-disclosure to us. Scripture exists to reveal God. And so when we come to difficult passages, really, again, any passage, we, we shouldn't be asking, you know, do I, do I like this passage? Do I agree with it? Those are inappropriate questions. What we should be asking is, why is this here, Lord? What is it you want me to know about you? What is it you're trying to teach me about your character, who you are and what you're like? What is it you're trying to show me even maybe about me here? And, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to uh, dig a little deeper in, into this story to see what's, what's really happening here. And not just because we're interested, but, but because there's something that is profound that God wants to teach us about himself in this story. There's something he wants to reveal to us that we need to know. And, and he'll show us something about us too, okay? So we're going to explain it first, and then we're going to ask, much more importantly, God, what are, you, what are you showing us about you? All right, so that's where we're headed today. And, you know, on the face of it, when, when you first read this story, what it sounds like is there's this group of, I don't know, eight-year-old boys, and they're playing soccer maybe on, on this sandy field near the edge of town, and uh, they see a bald man walk by, and one of the more brash little boys sees him and, and stops, you know, kicking the ball to, to point and laugh at this man who doesn't have very much hair. 
The, the other boys, you know, this is maybe their leader. The other boys join in, and, and they start taunting. They start making fun of this guy as well. Well, little do they know that this man is actually a prophet of God who apparently is very self-conscious about his male pattern baldness. <laughs> and so he lashes out, and he calls down a curse and I guess God's in this too because God responds by sending a couple of bears to attack mercilessly this group of boys. And if that's what happened in this story, then we might be right to be appalled. But that's not what happened here. Okay, what took place? What, what's really happening in this story? Well, well, first, this wasn't just any bald man. And these boys knew it. Okay, this was Elisha, who just a few days before had been promoted to the Lord's chief prophet. Okay, he, he was now God's primary spokesman. The way that God would, would communicate with the people of God who live in this town of Bethel and, and everywhere else in Israel and, and would reveal God's will for them. Okay, that, that's, that's who this man was. And in fact, oh, maybe a week before, Elisha had been through this town. Okay, he'd been to Bethel. They knew who he was. He'd been there with Elijah, who he had followed for about 10 years. It's kind of his prophet understudy. And he had just a few days before this, again, before being promoted, he'd seen Elijah uh, be, uh, be taken to heaven by the Lord. But Elisha had been to Bethel recently. He'd been here before that. These boys knew who they were making fun of. They knew who this man was. But it wasn't just uh, who this person was. Something we need to understand about this incident, too, is the location, the town of Bethel. You see, the name Bethel, it means house of God, the place where God lives. But, but this town was far from where God lived. Okay, this town was a lot closer to Bourbon Street at Mardi Gras. This was a godless place. Eighty years before this incident, there was a civil war going on in the nation of Israel. The northern and southern kingdoms were, were at war with one another. And at the height of this war, the northern king built a golden calf right, right on Main Street in Bethel. Okay, and he says to the people of Israel, he says, Israel, here is your God, the God who brought you up out of Egypt. Worship him. And from that point on, Bethel, for the next 80 some odd years, this town would become a hub of idolatry in the nation of Israel. And this city would, would sink into such darkness that, that long after Elisha was gone, when the prophet Hosea was writing, he says, you know what, Bethel, it's not the house of God as its name means. No, no, this is the house of wickedness. You see, this town is brimming with evil, wicked men and women who have no love for God, who have no fear of Yahweh and Yahweh's prophet. That's what is, is happening in this story. A third reality that we need to, to understand in this story, too, is the age of these, these boys. Look, these weren't innocent eight-year-olds taking a break from a soccer match to make fun of a bald guy. That is not who they were. All right, from the Hebrew that's used to describe these boys, most scholars uh, agree that these boys are actually late teens or even early 20s. Okay, these were 20-year-olds. They were old enough to fight in Israel's army. They were old enough to be sent to prison for life in this country, even to be on death row. Okay, these 20-year-old men, they knew exactly what they were doing, and they were, they were fully accountable for their decisions. These were not young boys. 
These were evil young men. And, and fourth is the intentionality of, of this experience. You see, this is not an accidental encounter with Elisha where they just see him walking by. No, what you, as you read the verses, you look at it again, what you see is that Elisha is walking along the road when these young men came out of the town. Okay, what that means is, is they leave this, they leave the city gates. They walk out of the city gates of Bethel. They leave the walled city behind them, and they are coming after Elisha. They're coming after this prophet. Okay, and it's not just 42 of them, right? Because we see in the passage that 42 of them are, are mauled by these bears, which means some got away. We don't know how many. But what you see as you piece this together is this is a large mob who they hear God's man is coming. They know who he is. And they conspire together. They get together in advance, and they plan out this hostile demonstration, this attack on the Lord's prophet. They knew exactly what they were doing, and there was intention behind this. But, but it's also the taunts of this mob that are significant as well. They call Elisha baldy, right? Some versions say bald head, which was a term of contempt in Jewish culture. No, that's a term of contempt in any culture, isn't it? I mean, I... I tell you, I've experienced this several years ago. I had somebody for the first time tell me that I was balding. And, and then within the next seven days, I had two other people, totally independent from the first, tell me that I was balding as well. And one of them was a middle schooler who was walking by me at church, and all he said was, hey, you're going bald. <laughs> Just kept walking. I thought, man, I wish I had a bear right now. You know? That is when I decided I am done with student ministry. Never to go back. <laughs> See, these men, these evil men, they knew, they knew what they were saying to Elisha. They, were, they weren't just making fun of him. Okay, they were shaming Elisha. But what's even more troubling than what they call Elisha is what they tell him to do. What do they, what do they say? They say it twice. They said, get out of here. Right? They are coming out after Elisha, and they're saying, look, Elisha, you, you and your God, you're not welcome here. Just keep on moving, okay? You are not welcome where we are. Make yourselves scarce. That's what, these, that's what these men are communicating to Elisha as they confront him. But then we also need to understand why does Elisha respond with a curse? Because that was actually a very predictable response by this prophet. You see, when, when you look at, at this story, what, what you see is that these young men from Bethel, okay, they were from Israeli families, and so they would have, they should have known that to mock Yahweh's prophet is to mock Yahweh himself. You see, their, their hostility towards Elisha, truly, it's, it's tantamount to, it shows that they are actually hostile, okay? They are hostile towards God himself. And, and that's who they are directing their insults towards, not Elisha, but to Elisha's God. And, and that's, that's what's happening. That's why Elisha responds the way he does. And so, so Elisha's curse really is in line with what, you, what you've already seen when God warns Israel about hostility towards him. And in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, this are, these are striking words. This is what Yahweh says to Israel. He says, if you remain hostile toward me and refuse to listen to me, I will send wild animals against you. I'll send a couple bears your way. That's, that's what God is saying to them. And, and so Elisha, he sees this mob's hatred, their hostility, not to him, but really to God. And he says, Lord, do as you said you would do. This mob, this gang, they're coming after you. 
really, not me. And so God does. He responds. He sends wild animals against these evil men, these two bears, to attack them. And so, again, as you understand the backdrop, some of the background of this story, the, the story hits our ears quite differently, doesn't it? Here's a little closer to the picture. You see this man, Elisha, he's, he's the Lord's chief prophet now. Just been that for a couple of days now. And he is on his way back to Bethel, this God-hating town. A lot like Jonah on his way to Nineveh. And he is probably going there to confront this town because for almost a century now, they have been defiant against the Lord. They have been hostile to, to Yahweh himself. So he's on his way to this town. And, and this mob, this gang of, of, of men, they hear he's coming, and so they conspire together. They get together, and they say, oh, no, we are not letting him in here. And so they go out, they confront him, and they say, look, Elisha, you and your God, you can get lost. You are not welcome here. And that's what they say. And, and Elisha, he sees that this mockery is not really about him. This is about Yahweh himself. And he says, Lord, do what you said you would do. And he sends this curse, and God responds. And God sends these two bears to attack 42 of these men, to maul them. That's what's happening in this story. And now that we have a little more understanding of, of what's going on here, what, what, what's behind this strange passage, the second question, which is much more important, is, okay, so why? Why do we have this story? God, what is it you're wanting to communicate about your character, about who you are, about what you're like? What are you trying to tell us about us through this story? And what is that truth? What is the, the truth about the Lord that he's wanting to show us? It is this. That when we take God and his leader lightly, it will lead to our harm. Look, if I show contempt for Yahweh or for one of his servants that he's placed in my life, God is going to discipline me. He will respond. In fact, he must respond. And we hear this truth, we see what this passage is telling us, and, and it's easy to think, but wait, wasn't that the God of the First Testament? Right? Isn't that how God handled hostile people before Jesus came? And of course, the answer is yes, absolutely. But it's how he responds now, after Jesus as well, to hostile people. Look, God didn't discard his holiness between Malachi and Matthew. He didn't. Hey, and, and, and you see examples of, of this showing up in the New Testament, too. We could we could pick from a, a few different passages. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, what do they do? They take God and his leader, his servants, the leaders of the first church lightly by, by deceiving them, right? They come and they say, here's the money. Here's everything we got for this piece of property that we sold. We want to give it to the church. Here you go, Lord. But it's not all of it, right? They're actually keeping some back. They are lying to God. They are lying to the leaders of this church. And, and what does God do? He sends a couple bears their way. He drops them dead where they stand. If we treat God and his leaders lightly, it will lead to our harm. Guys, he was doing it then. He's doing that now. God has not changed. And, and look, as we consider this, I'd, I'd like to just tell you a story maybe to help illustrate this truth a little bit. Okay, several years ago, I uh, went to Wolf Creek, Wolf Creek, Colorado, did some snow skiing there. One of the nights early on in the week when, uh, when we were asleep, the sky just opened up and dumped several feet of snow on us. 
Okay, the next morning we woke up. The, the snow wasn't just above our ankles. Now it was above our waist. There must have been four feet of snow that, that uh, came that night. So we go to the ski list. We ski all day, and then we come home exhausted in the afternoon. But I had a brilliant idea. I decided I was going to do, you know, one of those nesty plunges, you know, that, that backwards free fall into this freshly fallen snow. And so I, I thought I'm going to climb up on the handrail off of our back deck at our cabin, and I'm, I'm going to do one of these free falls into this, this beautiful fresh snow. And, and I didn't want to have all the fun by myself, so I invited my wife to do it with me. And she reluctantly agreed. So we climbed up on this handrail. Uh, we held hands. It was so romantic. <laughs> one, two, three, go. We fell backwards into this soft, fresh snow. But it wasn't a very gentle landing. We actually, our bodies were slammed into what felt like a slab of concrete. See, what had happened is over the course of the day, that snow had crystallized. And it's essentially, we did a free fall onto a slab of ice. And that's why today when I say, hey, Dana, I've got a great idea. Follow me. <laughs> she says, you know, I think I'll watch from here. And she really does. You see, I took lightly what was, in fact, very substantial, and it led to our harm. Guys, it is no different with God. When we take him lightly, when we treat him as if he's unsubstantial, as if, as if uh, we could treat him flippantly, carelessly, foolishly, when we do that, we will suffer. Okay, we will be harmed. We will hurt in response to that. There's no way around it. And there's one of my favorite theologians. His name is Dale Ralph Davis. He writes, and he says, you know what? We do not like this truth. We do not like this idea of God that, that he is holy and he is to be feared and that that is a good thing. We don't like this about him. In fact, what we prefer, he says, we prefer that God would be a nice sort of chap. You know, that he'd be usually agreeable and always tame. But the reason that this story is in our Bibles is to show us. It was to show Israel then. It is to show the church now that there is a holy, there is a wonderful fear of God that we need to reintroduce into our relationship with him. That's why this story is in our Bibles, to show us that. Because you see, God, he is gracious and patient. He is. But he is also holy and he is to be feared. He is. There was a writer uh, back in the 17th century, a long time ago, British theologian, Matthew Henry, he had a large enough view of God to allow him to be both, to be gracious, patient, to be holy, to be fearful. He allowed God to be who he is. And he reads 2 Kings 2. He, he writes a, a commentary on, on 2 Kings. And as he reads this story that, we've just, that we're talking about, this is what he writes. Henry says, let the hideous shrieks and groans of this wicked, wretched brood make our flesh tremble before God. Isn't that well said? There is an awesome fear of God that this story wants to convince us of, that we need. But if I have a hard time with what this passage, what this story tells me about God, I think what may be even harder to choke down is what this passage reminds me about me. That sure, God isn't to be treated flippantly. Okay? The, the leader that God has placed in my life, spiritual leaders that he's surrounded me with, they're not to be treated carelessly. 
But this passage also reminds me of how easily I violate that truth. You know, and as I reflect on, on my own experiences with spiritual leaders in my life, my, my relationship with them, how I've responded to them, I see this tendency. And, and don't get me wrong, most of the time, I love the, the leaders, the spiritual leaders God has, has placed in my life, both past and present. My bosses, my mentors, those who've had spiritual influence over me, they, they've been uh, overall a joy to follow. It's easy to follow the Lord by following them until... Until I hear that awful two-letter word, you know what it is, no. And especially when I hear no to something I feel strongly about or believe passionately about. And then, man, I can change quickly. You know, I can become cynical and assume the worst and, and become defiant even. And as this passage reminds me, look, it is not just towards this person that, that your attitude is that way. No, this is towards God that your hostility is directed. That's what this story is, is, is telling us. That's what God wants us to hear. And so before we apply this truth and, and say, you know, how, how does this show up? How might it show up in our lives, this truth that we're, we're looking at today? I, just let me stop for a moment and just say, man, we need to choose our spiritual leaders wisely, don't we? Hebrews 13 says, obey your spiritual leaders and, and do what they say. And so we need to be careful in who we allow to have spiritual influence in our lives, individually as a church, both. Right? But, but we need to take care that, that we are finding tested and, and trustworthy Christian leaders. Maybe it's a leader of your Bible study. Maybe it's a spiritual mentor. Perhaps it's, it's a, a head of a ministry that you're considering serving in. But take time. To find out what kind of a, a person, what kind of a leader, what kind of a Christian this person is before you allow them to have spiritual influence because they have great influence for better or for worse. And think about Elisha. Right? This man had been tested. He, he'd been with Elijah for, for almost 10 years now, for almost a decade. And so the nation had time to see uh, he's tested. He's trustworthy. Okay, this is a man who's been sent by God. We can, we can trust him. And, and so likewise, those who we would allow to have spiritual influence on us, we, be, we need to be careful in, in selecting those. And then, and then once we make that decision, then, then listen. You know, we need to be teachable to them. We need to understand that one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways God's going to communicate with us is, is through him or through her. He will. He does that. And, and, and look, we don't follow blindly. Okay, we're not talking about a leader who is unethical. Okay, or someone who's manipulative, someone who's a harasser, or maybe worse, that is not who we're talking about. We're talking about a tested and trusted Christian leader okay, that God has brought into our lives. And, and when you find that person, what do you do? You listen to them. You know, you, you give great weight to their advice, to their warnings, to their perspective, and understand that as you do that, you're giving great weight to to God's own warnings and advice and perspective that, that he may very well be offering you through that person. We have to choose them wisely. Okay, so let's, let's take that next step then. How does this apply? How might the truth of this passage show up in our lives? How is it that we might treat God and, and his leader in a careless way that would, would bring harm? And, and instead, how could we, we bring about honor instead of harm? Right? How is it that we could uh, give weight to Yahweh and to the, the servant that he has in our lives in a way that allows us to prosper and not to suffer. Well, one way this might look for you 
is uh, a spiritual mentor who's in your life who asks you to lunch. And after some pleasant conversation, this mentor, he or she says, uh, you know, I've asked you uh, to meet with me today because I have something a little more serious to talk to you about. I've noticed this trend, just as I've gotten to know you, I've noticed this trend of the way you relate to your family, to your close friends, to, to coworkers, employees. And, and I've noticed you are lightning quick to point out the ways that they mess up when they've done wrong. And yet, you are excruciatingly slow to commend, to encourage, to say, hey, well done here. And, and I don't think you see just how deflating, how discouraging this is for them. And this needs to change. That's, that's my belief, and, and I'd like to help you do that. Or maybe the conversation takes, you know, a different turn, and, and, and that spiritual mentor, he or she says, look, this problem, this situation with your in-laws, I've got to tell you, it is not going away. Okay, you have got to stop being passive about this. Your wife, your, your husband, your children, they need you to stop being passive about this. You need, you need to step, step forward. You need to do something here. Because inaction is action, and it will have great consequences. And as you walk away from that table, and as you get in your car, and as you pull out of the parking lot, there's a good chance that you'll be tempted to think, nah. I'm doing fine. You know, she's way off. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll do what I want to do. And we need to know that when we are tempted not just to think that, to, but, to, but to move forward in, in belief of that, we need to know that we are standing on a handrail and we're about to fall onto a block of ice. And we are walking right into some woods where a couple of bears live who God has used before to discipline those who would take him and his leader lightly. We need to know that. If you're a little bit younger and you still live at home, and then your mom, your dad, they're your spiritual leaders that God has given you in your life for right now. And, and so, again, think about this passage. The next time mom or dad comes to you and says, hey, look, this friend you're hanging out with, this person you're, you're starting to date or you're considering dating, I've got to tell you, they are going to shipwreck your character. They are. You need to trust me here. And when you walk away from that conversation, you walk down the hallway and you close your bedroom door behind you, you're going to be tempted to think, my parents are clueless. They have no idea what's going on. They don't know this person. They don't know me. I'll do what I want to do. And when that thought floats by, would you remember this passage? You are climbing onto a handrail. And this will not end well. Innocence will be lost. Morals will be corrupted. Okay, regrets, they will be multiplied. When we take the Lord or the servant, the, the leader he's placed in our life lightly, when we take them, treat them flippantly, we will suffer. We will be harmed. And that's what God is trying to communicate to us through this passage. Look, you might remember those demotivational posters that were popular a few decades ago. One of my favorites has a picture of a sinking ship, and this is the caption on that poster. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. It's a witty poster. It's a funny poster. But it is a frightening reality if we take this passage and we ignore the truth of it. Okay, look, God, 
He doesn't want to use our lives. He doesn't want to use our choices as a warning for our children, for our friends, for others about, about how not to treat him. Okay? He doesn't want to do that, but he's willing to. He is willing to. This story, this passage is in our Bibles because God wants to convince us that he is committed to our hearts being right with him. And when he sees us taking him carelessly, when he sees us treating him foolishly or the leader he's placed in our lives, he's going to do whatever it takes to bring us back, to restore us, to draw us in. He will. He'll use a pair of bears. He'll use a block of ice if he has to. And thank God he will. Thank God he will. Would you pray with me? Lord, Yahweh, God of heaven, we, we ask you that, that this truth, Lord, that we wouldn't ignore it, that we wouldn't deny it, that we wouldn't hear it and then forget about it. Lord, we ask that, that this truth about you and your character, Lord, and how we ought to live in light of that, that it would sink deeply into our souls, Lord, that you would you'd marinate our hearts in it, that, that we would recover where needed, Lord, this, this, um, this holy fear of you. Lord, would you help us to do that? And I pray that, that neither in, in ignorance or in defiance uh, would, would we treat you lightly, Lord, or as if you aren't substantial. And I ask, Lord, I beg you, I plead with you, even in your discipline, Lord, when that does come, uh, would you be gentle when you can be? And yet, would you do whatever it takes, Lord, to turn us around when our hearts are hardened or when we are running from you? Would you, would you do what you have to do? We ask that in your son's name. Amen.